Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Kale Berger back here with you. It is a uh, Tuesday evening with a lot going on. NLCS, NBA season. Mike Tomlin spoke today. Just so much to discuss. You know, one thing I missed about the NBA is just looking along the the sidelines and the courtside seats and trying to see what random celebrities you can find. Uh, At this Nuggets game so far, I have seen Dion and Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter as well, so the uh, Colorado Buffaloes are represented. Uh, I also just saw one of the Chainsmokers. Uh, if you're not familiar with the with the musical group, the Chainsmokers, they had a big hit uh, called Closer, which was the soundtrack to my college years at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, they are courtside as well. So we'll try and see who else we can uh, identify. But uh, there's nothing better than that. Just trying to see what random obscure celebrities show up to NBA games. You don't get that in the NFL except for Taylor Swift. They always know where Taylor Swift is. They always find Taylor Swift. Mike Tomlin spoke today, as I said, his uh, weekly Tuesday press conference. And I mentioned this earlier in the show, but he was in a better mood, more chipper than he usually is. And I think that that's by design, or for a reason at least. Mike Tomlin likes to stay very close to the vest, very sometimes overtly serious. But he wouldn't be acting the way he did today, cracking jokes with Mark Caboli and smiling. and He wouldn't be doing that unless he felt good about the state his team is in right now. I think Mike Tomlin is riding high currently with a team that's won two in a row and is sitting in four and two, second in the AFC North. And so we can continue this discussion of how good the Steelers really are. You know, Chris Carter, I thought, made a good point that while they haven't played a perfect game by any means yet, no team plays a perfect game, but they haven't come even close. It is encouraging that they have found multiple ways to win. They have multiple ways they can win. They can do it with offense. They can do it with defense. They found a number of ways. Well, they can't really do it with offense, but we saw that come alive in the second half to seal the game and win it on Sunday. That needs to be something they demonstrate more and more. But there were a couple things that Mike Tomlin talked about in the show, uh, in the uh, press conference earlier today. Here's what he had to say about what his team's identity is. Yeah, um, I think in 2023, when you're talking about team identity, you're talking more intangible quality things. A grit, a mindset, the approach in which you, you, you take the circumstances. Are you a calculated risk-taking group? Um, are you a fundamentalist group? Are you a small menu group? Those are the things that really kind of comprise identity today. Yeah, whatever a small menu group is, I don't necessarily have heard that before from an NFL coach. But that being said, when he talks about grit, determination, I think that is really what the identity of this team is right now. That is its calling card. They might not be the most talented. They might not do everything perfectly. But they are playing hard. And I think that is a, a credit or a kudos to Mike Tomlin for getting that out of them. Now, he has always been labeled a pretty good motivator in his career as a head coach. But, no, there have been, yes, some the Tomlin games, as we call them, where he clearly didn't have his team motivated enough in those instances. But we have seen, I think, a team that is just willing itself to victories a lot of times this season. And that can be the edge 
when you have these coin flip type games where the Steelers, I, I don't really see all that much separating them from a lot of the teams that they've beaten and they are, they're jostling with in the NFL right now. It's about grit. It's about determination. It's about how bad do you want it? And that's not a quantifiable thing. But I think the proof is in the pudding with the 4-2 and two record that they have right now. But now you need to turn grit into, you know, playing fundamentally sound, complementary football. Chris Carter mentioned this also, and it was something that Mike Tomlin noted today about how they are utilizing Patrick Peterson. And hopefully that means we're going to get more Joey Porter Jr. Here's Tomlin on Pat Pete. That's why we brought Pat here. Um, Pat's a veteran player. He's smart. Um, if you remember, we moved Cam Sutton around a lot. Essentially, he is Cam Sutton. And so position flexibility was an attractive component to, to the acquisition of him. That's why we... You know, I think that that is the perfect place for Patrick Peterson to be playing in this defense. And maybe you wanted to bring Joey Porter Jr. along slowly. The learning curve should be gone. He needs to be the starting corner on the outside. He probably could be starting, should be starting over Levi Wallace or Patrick Peterson. He's been that good in coverage. I've seen some people talk about the tackling needs to improve. I want you to cover receivers primarily. Deion Sanders wasn't a very good tackler. And look at him. Now he's coach prime and he's leading the Colorado Buffaloes. So who knows what Joey Porter Jr. is going to do. But in all seriousness, JPJ has been very good. And he was very solid once again on Sunday. I'm not saying that there's not a role for Patrick Peterson on this team, but I do think the one they have carved out for him in that Cam Sutton mold is one that fits him well. Play him outside sometimes, but don't overexpose him. Play him in the slot where maybe at times he's matched up in a more favorable situation. Use his instincts to, you know, blitz him or play him in zone. Or you can do more different things and, and have more diverse play calls when you have Patrick Peterson and a guy of his intelligence and experience in that role. Not only does it get uh, Joey Porter Jr. back out there, but what it also does is it, you know, takes out maybe a lesser experienced or lesser talented nickelback player and it slides Patrick Peterson. So you still you still have his savvy and his experience out there, but you get the young guy who you picked 32 overall. He can take his role and finally be full-fledged into that. The last thing that was pretty interesting from Mike Tomlin today was talking about the taunting and some of the other penalties that they got. And there's one word that you are going to hear a ton in this clip. And you're going to know what it is pretty quickly. Here's Mike Tomlin on the officiating and the tenor of the crew in Sunday's win over the Rams. Oftentimes, it's our job to feel the tenor of a crew um, and adjust our behavior accordingly. And um, we got into that game, man, and that, and that crew had a certain tenor, and we didn't adjust to it. And as professionals, that's our job. And so am I worried about those issues being an issue moving forward? No, I'm not. Uh, but it is a great opportunity to, to talk about learning the tenor of a crew. Sometimes certain crews are more tolerant regarding certain things than others, and that's just, you know, the realities of the National Football League. TJ, for example, got a penalty for lining up in the neutral zone at a significant time in the second half of that game. It was a third down possession down that we won. 
A lot of crews will, will warn you when someone's lined up in the neutral zone or cutting it close from that perspective. Some don't. It's our job to get a sense of how the game is being played that day. From a holding perspective, from a DPI perspective, uh, there are a lot of things that you could discuss uh, regarding having a feel for the tenor of a crew. The worst thing that we did in that game is we didn't have a sense of that tenor, uh, and we didn't adjust. Um, Najee had a, had a confrontation post-snap early in the game where he was jawing back and forth with a member of their defense, and that crew expressed their tenor at that time. And as a collective, man, we didn't do a good enough job. I didn't do a good enough job as a leader making sure that we adjusted. Um, and so that's why some of the penalties were um, as they were. I don't know that this is about adjusting or that this is about, you know, we have to feel out the tenor of the officiating crew. And by the way, we if we were playing a drinking game here and you had to take a shot every time Mike Tomlin said tenor today, uh, you'd be waking up just now from his noon press conference. I mean, my God. <laughs> that being said, th- there's no adjusting with the tenor of the crew when it comes to these personal foul penalties and whatnot. And we've seen they didn't cost the Steelers the football game on Sunday. It certainly made things at times a little more challenging and negated some really impressive plays. This is not about Mike Tomlin saying, hey, you need to feel it out. And I know that some coaches have done that in the past. It's well documented that Bill Belichick wanted his defensive backs to feel it out and maybe to get called for a pass interference or something early in the game because he wants to know what they can get away with at the end when it matters most. We don't need to be feeling out personal fouls and crackback blocks and stuff like that. That is not about the tenor of the officiating crew. That's about personal responsibility and discipline within those units specifically wide receiver. So while it was great to have Deontay Johnson back and George Pickens made some tremendous plays as he usually does in this game, I think Mike Tomlin's strategy here needs to be some tough love and needs to be stern with his kids. You don't feel out what the ref's going to call. How about you don't taunt? It's not about what you can get away with. Don't do any of it. If you don't do it, you can't get called for it. And if you're George Pickens... I know you want to be physical, you want to spring a block for your teammate, but you can't crack black uh crackback people. Crackback blocks are not allowed. It's against the rules, it's player safety, it's non-negotiable. So many players now they try to set picks or screens like they do in basketball. This is not about figure out what you can try and get away with. Mike Tomlin's tact here, his strategy needs to be, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing it. No room for talking, no room for for jawing. I don't care if you used to play with Akella Witherspoon and you're Deontay Johnson. You give the ball to the ref, you shut up, you go back. You know when you can talk, and you can't even talk still because you'll still get called for taunting, but if you want to do something after the whistle, just go score a touchdown, and then do one of your choreographed touchdown dances or something. But that was one thing from Tom and today. I'm like, we don't, we don't need to feel out tenor of, of officiating crews. How about you don't do it, you nip it in the bud now, so that you don't deal with this later on when the games start to mean more and more and more. You know, another thing that was brought up and suggested today that we haven't talked about on the show exactly just yet 
Um, and we'll take your phone calls on this at 412-928-9370, is this idea that the Steelers should have drafted uh, Jordan Addison instead of selecting Roderick Jones. So if you go back and look at the 2023 NFL draft, picks by round. So Broderick Jones was selected 14th overall by the Pittsburgh Steelers. They traded up to get him. Jordan Addison went at 23 to the Minnesota Vikings. Now, he, of course, had a phenomenal game, two touchdowns. He was electric for the Vikings last night, and he did it all in that big win over the 49ers, an upset victory, some thought. He did it all with no Justin Jefferson. Here's the first of those uh, two touchdowns. Shotgun snap, four-man San Francisco rush, a pass down the middle, caught holding, over the shoulder, touchdown, Jordan Addison. So that's touchdown number one courtesy of Kevin Harlan and our friends on Westwood One, Monday Night Football here on The Fan. Here's the second one, which was eerily similar to a touchdown he had against Virginia when he was a Pitt Panther. Third and six, Cousins at his 40, shotgun snap, acres of block, pass to the numbers, and it was torn away and picked up by Addison, who runs from the 30 to the 20, down the middle of the 10, and has got the touchdown. Broke away from Ward. They both held onto the ball at the same time. And this time, Addison ripped it away and then went shutting down the field on a 60-yard touchdown catch and run for Minnesota. There's just no one like Kevin Harlan. That's why he's my GOAT. Not only did he have that great call of that touchdown last night in Minnesota, but now he's in Denver calling this game right now for TNT with the Lakers and the Nuggets. And it's already a 15-point lead for Denver. Just like we all thought it would be. Because this is what the Lakers do every season. I told you that was uh, eerily similar to a uh, a touchdown by Jordan Addison they had at Pitt. Let me see if I can find the one. It's against uh, Virginia. And it might be back too far. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago. I don't know that we necessarily... Uh, purge our database of audio and whatnot, but uh, that's a shame because I remember the call from Bill Hillgrove, and it was something like, my ball, my touchdown, turn off the lights. We remember that, right? I, remember, I don't think so. You don't remember it? He, Billy Maybe. goes, my ball, my touchdown, touchdown Panthers, turn off the lights. It was great. But anyways, as good as Jordan Addison has been in his early NFL career, and I think we all thought he'd be pretty good. He was great at Pitt. He was great at USC when he left Pitt. And he got picked in the first round for a reason. The Steelers still made the right selection. And even though they're still riding with Dan Moore Jr., and I actually saw an article today suggesting that he could be a trade candidate for the Steelers. They have Jones. Jones has played well. And they have a starting caliber offensive tackle that his replacement has already been drafted, who played well against the Rams on Sunday, that they could entertain trading Dan Moore. What I would do is maybe put Dan Moore at right tackle and get rid of Chooks. But that's not what this segment's about. This is a debate that we had all of last offseason. And the same debate has popped up once again here, 
and I still am going to go and stay on the same side that I was previously. There is a, a debate, a divide, where what benefits your young quarterback more? Is it a receiver? Is it an offensive lineman? Is it protecting him or giving him weapons? Now, that has varied from team to team. Some teams have gone one way and it's worked out. Some teams have gone another way and it hasn't. I still stand by the fact that it's better to keep your quarterback upright than to get him maybe a superfluous or you know, an additional weapon that he doesn't necessarily need. Is it great to have Jordan Addison on your team? Absolutely. But you already have George Pickens and Deontay Johnson. Does having Jordan Addison as a third receiver and putting him in the slot really put you over the top? I would argue that's more beneficial for Kenny Pickett and the Steelers to have a left tackle who's shown a lot of promise and played very well in his limited opportunities this year. It's better to have him for the next 10 years. And that's one of the areas where I feel like the Steelers have neglected over the last decade, and they finally rectified it this year, is you haven't picked offensive linemen. They've gone for these guys later in drafts like Chooks or Dan Moore Jr. and stuff like that where you know, sometimes you just need to invest your high draft capital on a premier offensive lineman because you know that guy has a better chance of being a 10-year starter than anyone else you can kind of get. And you know, regardless, as much as we love wide receivers in this league, it is still arguably the second best position or second most important position to have a great left tackle. So as much as it was cool to see Jordan Addison go off last night and we could reminisce about the good old days when he and Kenny used to chuck it around down at Acrisure Stadium, I would still stick with the Broderick Jones pick. Just because he's not getting played, which has been frustrating, doesn't mean that he is still not played well in his limited opportunities and still can't be a great player one day. So if you feel differently, we'd love to hear from you. 412-928-9370. You can also tweet me at Kale underscore Berger as well. And you can uh, follow the fan on Twitter, which is brought to you by South Hills Chrysler, Dodge Jeep, Ram, and Peters Township. Or you can also visit them online at southhillsjeep.com. More of this Steelers discussion coming up next. We'll be joined by Noah Strackbine of Sports Illustrated, all Steelers. Does a great job covering the team. Going to get his insight coming up next. It's Kale Berger on the fan. Listen to Cook and Joe every Wednesday to hear about Starkey's Card of the Week from Baseball, Card Castle, and Cranberry. Contest run every Wednesday through Friday at noon at the 937thefan.com contesting page. Kale Berger back here with you. Tuesday night here on The Fan. Glad to be with you. Been a uh, fun show so far. As I said, uh, a lot of sports on the uh, on the TVs and going on at the moment. NLCS. We got Lakers Nuggets. And, of course, we had a Mike Tomlin press conference earlier today to break down as well. Let's go out to the fan hotline, which is presented by Nemecolon. Around every corner, Nemecolon creates real-life magic for guests. And that's where we find our buddy Noah Strackbine of Sports Illustrated. Noah, what's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing good, Cal. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing me on. Uh, it was, uh, it's a good break. You know, you mentioned the, uh, the Phillies Diamondbacks. It's uh, not a fun night for 
for those of us rooting for the Phillies right now. I was going to say, you you are a fighting Phils fan, and i I got to be honest with you, it's not on the TV here right now, but what is the score? Oh, no. It's, it, yeah, it's only one nothing. I mean, at least since I turned my television off for this, if you're going to tell me it got worse, I might not turn it back on. It's just it's um, just one nothing Diamondbacks. You're good. Yeah, yeah, we're saying – we're saying Tom, but uh, two, two out of three, or yeah, three straight strikeouts to start the uh, bottom of the first. It wasn't, it wasn't great. I, I, I needed this, just to say the least. I needed this. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully this can be the palate cleanser you're looking for. Um, I, I started off the show here tonight asking a very simple question of Steeler fans out there: How good is this team? They're four and two. They're second in the AFC North. All of their wins have been relatively close. Um, their two losses have been ass kickings, to you know, put it lightly and, and kindly. Where do, what where do you feel like the Steelers are on that spectrum? And they got three games coming up that are all at home, but I don't even know if we'll have a better, clear understanding by then because two of those teams aren't very good in their own right. Yeah, I uh, that's that's a loaded question, huh? And I think the best way to break it down is to just say. They're good enough right now to be four and two and two and oh in the AFC North. And we all know that the Pittsburgh Steelers under Mike Tomlin are a back nine football team. I've been using that analogy the entire time. Mm, yeah. Mike 18, 18 weeks, 18 holes. Mike Tomlin is always best after the turn. And that's just where the Pittsburgh Steelers typically find themselves. The good thing is, this year, instead of being two and six and looking at having to come back and give yourself any opportunity to make the playoffs, they're sitting in a spot that if the season ended right now, they'd be in the playoffs, and all they have to do is control their own fate. Now, how good can they be? I, I think Sunday kind of showed us that we don't really know that yet. You know, it's hard to judge this team off of a week-to-week basis because, just like you said, those two games were pitiful, but the wins, some of them, They've looked like pretty decent football teams, at least for halves. And the back half of the Rams game was, was good enough that, I mean, for, for a quarter and a half, everybody watching that game forgot that the Pittsburgh Steelers have not been good for most of the season. Like, it was, it was that good. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I want to say they're good enough right now. I think that's a really good place to be. Because it, we could be having this conversation and saying, ah, oh, well, they're three and four, or they're, you know, two and four, and things aren't looking real great. Now they got to turn it around. But instead, it's just like, I'll just build off of this, and, and you should be okay. You know, we saw on Sunday was Kenny Pickett with another outstanding fourth quarter. I think the sixth game winning drive of his career. He's got six of those in just 18 starts. I mean, 33%, and you have a game winning drive is. I think pretty impressive, this guy, this early in his career. How much stock do you put in that? Because on one hand, he has not yet played a complete game in a season and a half. But he has shown that ability in these clutch moments at a very young age to raise his play to a level that a lot of guys in the NFL aren't capable of doing. How much stock do you put in that right now to not excuse the rest of his play, but to give him leeway given he's excelled so much in this one area? I think I think the biggest thing to acknowledge with that is that moving forward, Kenny Pickett officially enters year two as a starting quarterback. I know they said that on the broadcast, and I thought I kind of thought it was corny. But the more that I thought about it, 
you know, I, 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 I realized like it really is like Kenny. Maybe not that corny. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's not that corny. Maybe it does make some sense. Kenny is officially a full 18, I guess now, now 19 games into his NFL career as a starter. Like now it's time to take that next step. Now it's officially time to build off of this. So what does it mean for him to be good in the fourth quarter and have that, that gene that the, I mean, really, it's kind of like a Ben Roethlisberger effect. If you give this guy an opportunity with two minutes on the clock, you're going to take your odds on Kenny Pickett. And, and that's a really good place to be, and that's what the Pittsburgh Steelers drafted him for, and that's what they wanted him to turn into. I mean, you go back to last summer, and it was Kenny Pickett red zone drills, Kenny Pickett seven on seven, Kenny Pickett running the two-minute drill at the end of practice. They it, it drilled into this guy's head, hey, you will win in clutch situations. But if – he can't get the rest of it together, it means almost nothing because a guy like Patrick Mahomes or, I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles or the Miami Dolphins or the Buffalo Bills are not going to give you an opportunity to have a two-minute drive most times. If he builds off of this, I mean, to already have that in your arsenal and to say, I'm a good quarterback, and if you give me an opportunity at the end, I'm going to win it. I mean, that's as dangerous as it gets for an NFL quarterback. It's just a matter of whether or not he starts to put the rest together. We're joined here by Noah Strackbein of Sports Illustrated talking Steelers after a big win against the Rams on Sunday afternoon. One of the things that has been brought up here today as kind of a after effect of last night's Monday Night Football game is Steeler fans once again bringing up the concept or the idea of that Jordan Addison offensive lineman debate. Now, this raged all offseason, and they eventually took Broderick Jones in that first round, but now people are saying, oh, we should have taken Jordan Addison. Where do you come down on that? Because for me, it still remains the same. I think a left tackle and a guy that can be that for the next 10 years helps your quarterback more, especially when you have a team that already has George Pickens and Deontay Johnson right now. If you were the Steelers, would you like a do-over in that setting, or do you think that they made the right choice? I think that they made the right choice if you're comparing those two. I think you could go back and there's a number of guys that you'd be like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe they should have drafted this or maybe they should have drafted that if they were going to just stick with Dan Moore. But I think at the end of the day, not many people are sitting around super comfortable with the idea of Dan Moore is the franchise left tackle of the Pittsburgh Steelers and he's going to be around for the next five to ten years and this is it. A lot of people say – or at least in their head, will say, well, it's Broderick Jones after the season. It's his position. And I think that's a better spot to be in than having Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, Calvin Austin, and Jordan Addison. I mean, the question is pretty simple. And I know that it's not a direct correlation, but would you rather have a mediocre quarterback with a great wide receiver core or a mediocre wide receiver core with a great quarterback and you'd always rather have a great quarterback so yeah. you build you try to give Kenny as much around him and have your playmakers at wide receiver and left tackle is as important as it gets for a quarterback and for an offensive line so if you could find a superstar there and then already have weapons even if they're not you know just the greatest wide receiver core in Pittsburgh Steelers history which you add those three together I mean you got to fight and chance then I think that's I think that process makes a lot more sense for the future than to just say, well, load up on pass catches and everything will be fine. That being said, Jordan Addison looked phenomenal on Monday Night Football, and I yeah. expect him to have a great career. But 
I still think, you know, 10 times out of 10 times, I'm taking a left tackle before I take a wide receiver if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, mentioning Dan Moore, he was one of the bright spots, and I don't think a lot of people anticipated that on Sunday. He held his own and played a pretty good game, and that was on the heels of a lot of people saying, you know, what the hell are they doing? Put Broderick Jones back out there. But he's also been good in his limited opportunities this season. I saw an article on ESPN earlier today basically talking about a trade target for each team or as in a, a player on their team that could be traded if they were so inclined. And uh, your colleague, Brooke Pryor uh, from ESPN, who's on the Steelers beat as well, said, well, if we're looking at anyone, you know, maybe Broderick, maybe it's Dan Moore Jr., uh, considering you have Broderick Jones waiting in the wings. Would you think that the Steelers would entertain that, or if you were the Steelers, would you entertain that idea of, hey, this guy's trending in the right direction. We have his replacement right here. Maybe try to trade him to a team that has offensive line needs. So uh, would I entertain the, situation, the idea if I was the Pittsburgh Steelers? Certainly. I would look at it and say, well, Dan Moore just put on the best tape of maybe his career. I'd have to go back and look, but definitely of the season. He's trending upwards. He looks really strong after an injury and after the bye week. Teams are going to be looking, and it's a great time for a player to get hot. So if it makes sense and you're ready for Bradrick Jones, which just like you said, you know, he's looked good in his limited opportunities and his one start, he looked real good. And there isn't really a bunch of worries outside of, yeah, he's a rookie. He's going to have hiccups. That just happens. But Dan Moore is going to have hiccups too, and that's just going to happen as well. It's kind of would you rather toss Roger Jones out there or just play it safe and have two left tackles? Now, would the Pittsburgh Steelers do it? I think that's tough to say. I think that they've given us no indication that they're looking to move on from Dan Moore right now and that they're very confident in him and what he can do. And I think, I think the bottom line is they don't want to take a risk and mess something up because the offense is so fragile right now that, yeah, something good happens. Cool. Let's try to build off of it. And if we mess up the ecosystem, maybe we mess everything up. I kind of think, and I mean, we've been covering the Pittsburgh Steelers long enough to know that that is how they think a lot of the times. And I think in this situation, they're, they're trying to stick with fluidity instead of just like, hey, best talent, best players, let's put all those guys out there and let's get risky. Uh, last thing for you here, Noah, and this is another hypothetical that I saw today. We are a week away from the NFL trade deadline. And one guy that I've seen out there as a potential candidate to be dealt is tight end Zach Ertz from the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the Steelers, of course, are without Pat Fryermuth and will be for a little bit right now. Um, I don't love this idea, though I've seen it you know, tossed around here today, just basically from the fact of the Steelers really aren't using their, their tight ends to begin with. They weren't using Fryermuth when he was healthy, and they run a couple of plays a game for Connor Hayward, but other than that, it's not a big part of their offense. So... What are you really gaining by adding a 33-year-old Zach Ertz into the mix just to not be used? How do you feel about the idea of adding Ertz? So I'm almost positive, not to shoot down your idea here, that I saw Zach Ertz go on IR today, which what? I'm pretty positive means. Yeah, I'm not sure why. I want to say maybe, maybe a groin, maybe something that happened over the weekend, but I thought I ran across that because I was thinking the same thing. I saw his name a couple of times and said, and they were all linked to, they're going to trade Zach Ertz. And I was like, okay, well, the Steelers don't have a tight end. That being said, 
what do you get in Zach Ertz that you don't already have in the combination of Connor Hayward and Darnell Washington for what yeah. you're going to use? And, and I think that's just like a broad spectrum of, of let's generalize every tight end that you could go out and get. That's a complete tight end. Cool. Makes a lot of sense, but the Steelers aren't use, utilizing their tight ends like that. And I think it kind of goes back to the Jordan Addison thing. You have Deontay Johnson, you have George Pickens, you have Calvin Austin that I hope at some point starts to find his rhythm in this offense. And then you have Allen Robinson, who kind of replaces Pat Fryermuth right now on that third and we need a catch situation and maybe a third and nine or, you know, just like the, the end of the Los Angeles game on Sunday where you throw it to him on a third, third and ten. Um, that's kind of how the Pittsburgh Steelers offense could slow right now to the point where you don't really need to go out and add anybody. You could utilize Connor Hayward when you need to and trust him because, I mean, Connor Hayward's got great hands. And he's he done that throughout his entire career. And then Darnell Washington, we all know, is pretty much another left tackle. So if you need somebody to block, I get that he's had his moments this, this year that haven't been great, but you're still going to want him to develop and be that guy. So I just don't think a tight end – if you're going to make a move, go make a move for a corner. Don't make a move for a position that yeah. you have options that are probably a little bit better. Well, so, you know what? You bring that up. I, uh, I'm i looking at the, the Schefter tweet right now, and sure enough, it came like right as we were coming on the air here for the show. Um, <laughs> but that being said, uh, I've seen you know Pat Sertan from the Broncos as another potential trade target thrown out there as well. I mean, is corner like the only position you think that they – they could or should address the most? Yes, uh, 100%. And I, uh, I think that you watch what a team like the Philadelphia Eagles did with Terrell Edmonds, uh, a familiar name. Yeah. But they signed Terrell Edmonds. He was their guy. Wasn't working out the way that they thought it was going to work out. And they quickly made the decision, we need a safety. We need a playmaker in the secondary. Let's go and get him. The Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers are in the same situation. They need a playmaker at corner. They don't have one. They have a guy in Joey Porter Jr. That should be your first step is to get him on the field as much as possible. If you're going to fight trying to start him, I get it. As long as he's playing just like he played against the Rams and playing somewhere around that 80% mark of the defensive snaps. The next step should definitely be to try and go get a, a young cornerback to build alongside of him. Pat Sertan is obviously the biggest name you could go get. And if you can get him for a price that you think is comfortable, I mean, you go get him. He's, he's you know, Jalen Ramsey. He's one of those guys that the, uh, Patrick Peterson in his prime. He's, he's that kind of guy that you go out and you build a secondary around that guy and you already have the other piece in Joey Porter Jr. Another name, Jalen Johnson out of Chicago has been mm. tossed out there a bunch. I think that's another one where he's only 24 years old and you're like, okay, well, let's build Joey Porter Jr. and Jalen Johnson. Maybe Darius Rush turns into something. Maybe in a year or two, Corey Trice turns into something. And then you have a very young and talented cornerback group. That's something the Pittsburgh Steelers almost have never had. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that makes that makes all – if you're going to go get a, a, a trade or go make a trade or be aggressive at the deadline, if you're Omar Khan, corner is really the only position that, like, makes 100% sense for this team. No Strackbine of Sports Illustrated. Check out all of his coverage at allsteelers.com, si.com, slash NFL, slash Steelers. Noah, great stuff as always. We haven't done this in a while, and uh, great to have you back on the show. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, brother, okay? Sounds good. I'm going to go hope that uh, when I turn this TV back on. Do you, you want to know or do you want to find out? 
Uh, you saying that means I don't want to know. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Oh. All right, all right. I'm, I'm excited. I'll be surprised. Top of the third, 1-1. One, one. <laughs> oh, that's what I love to hear. There that's we go. I love to hear. All right, man. I'll see you. Go, Phils. All right. Take care. Great stuff from Noah there. Uh, speaking of the Phillies, and, and we can talk about this a little bit later here, um, or we can talk about it coming up next, and we'll also talk a little more NBA again as well. But I was in Philly recently during this playoff run for them. There's something about it that stuck out to me that I, it, it, it made me feel FOMO. It made me want that for Pittsburgh. We'll talk about it coming up next. It's Kale Berger on The Fan. Pet Fest 23 is presented by Subaru, and it's coming to Stage AE this Saturday. Dog trainers, vets, artists, an agility course, and even photos with Santa for your dog. Visit any local Subaru dealer for free tickets. PetFest 23 is brought to you by JP Roofing and Siding, Tri-State Office Furniture, and Wolfgang Bakery and Grooming. That's coming up this Saturday at Stage AE. If you're a dog lover, if you're a pet lover, I mean, I don't think it's only dogs, right? I mean, hey, bring your goldfish. Just got to have it on a leash. It's got to be a leashed pet. So I guess if you can get a leash around your iguana, they want you there. We're watching uh, the Phillies in the NLCS right now and here in the studio. And uh, they're tied one apiece with the Diamondbacks right now. Game seven in Philly. Atmosphere looks incredible. You can feel it through the TV screen. And as I mentioned before the break, I was in Philly a couple weeks ago. Uh, Pitt had the bye week, so I took it as an opportunity to go out of town and visit some friends. And I have some good buddies of mine that live in Philadelphia. So I went over, and it was lined up with their you know, playoff series against the Braves. So one of the big things we did twice during my time there is we went out to you know local neighborhood bar, pulled up some stools or grabbed a table, and we went and watched these playoff baseball games. And I got to say, it made me feel as a Pirates fan, as someone in Pittsburgh, uh, not envious as much as there was that feeling of a little bit of FOMO. Like we were like, or like we are missing out on playoff baseball. And it is so different than anything else we experience here in this town. Now, those of you that are here for the wild card games and whatnot, obviously you can attest to this. I was not in attendance nor was I really in Pittsburgh for those years. I hadn't come up here for college. That being said, I was still a, a Pirates fan and have been my whole life. But the fact that it, like not only is it the atmosphere in the stadium, but we you go out to these bars, these restaurants, it is it's not an old crowd. I mean, there's a misconception or you know, opinion that many, many people have about baseball that it's all you know, old guys that like baseball and, you know, no one needs to pimp their home runs and stuff like that. But you go out to the bar to these establishments and it's all young people. It's 22 to 32-year-olds that are gathering in mass, that are cheering on their team, that are hanging on every pitch, watching intently, you know, riding all the way through the highs and the lows of a baseball game, so invested in their baseball team, it was something that was refreshing to see. But also, I had that feeling of, man, I want this for Pittsburgh. I want this for Pittsburgh because I know we would do it just as big. 
we'd be just as passionate, just as invested. Hopefully it's coming soon. But like I said, it, it was something that certainly left an impression on me, and uh, I definitely have a respect for Philadelphia sports fans. I know they get a bad reputation, uh, you know, throwing batteries and snowballs and stuff like that, but uh, they're passionate, and they're a lot like us here in Pittsburgh. So I'm not going to fault anyone for being passionate about their team. Uh, get, just getting underway in the second half here between the uh, Denver Nuggets and Los Angeles Lakers. It's uh, opening night of the NBA season. I got to tell you what, you know who I'm most excited for to see this year? It's Victor Weminyama. First overall pick from France. He's a San Antonio Spur. They just keep getting first overall picks that are like generational talents. But if you've seen some of the preseason highlights, we already knew this guy was a freak, but he has been doing some ridiculous stuff. I mean, the rate, the the block radius he has with his height and his length, and he's blocking Clay Thompson three pointers. He's closing out on guys from the paint. I mean, he is redefining what it means to be a rim protector. And if he stays healthy, which of course a guy with that frame and 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 that size, that is always a big if. Unfortunately, that is the case. But I, if I were you. I'd open up that sports betting app you have on your phone. I'd throw a little money down on Victor Weminyama, Defensive Player of the Year. I don't think I don't think a rookie has ever won Defensive Player of the Year. I know from a, a podcast I was listening to earlier today, the Low Post podcast, Zach Lowe from ESPN, great stuff. They said that a rookie has never been All NBA Defensive First Team. I think he could be both. If he stays healthy, he plays, I think he could be potentially defensive player of the year as a rookie. He is that good. And it's the it's not, it's the impact that he has on the game. I mean, guys are in the corner shooting threes and they have to worry about him. The fact that you will have this imposing figure, this long, rangy, lengthy guy closing out on three-point jump shots and stuff, and then if he's got the ability to recover, and then go block a shot in the paint. I mean, that's something we've never seen before. And and the offensive bag is impressive, too. And that's going to have to come and develop. But right now, the way he can make an impact the most is as a rim protector on the defensive end. I mean, if he's, if he's around and plays the majority of the season, I think he could do it. I mean, they gave it to Jaron Jackson Jr., and he was hurt like all last year, and you know, I think I 